When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, drivers and passengers. Welcome back to Car Stuff. I'm Ben Bullen. And I'm Scott Benjamin. And uh, Scott, before we get started, this is going to be a little bit of a different podcast for us today. Uh, before we get started, I wanted to just ask you uh, about your recent adventures. Some of our listeners may not know that you have... Uh, wandered internationally. Yeah, that's right. I, I hinted before that it was taking a long vacation, I think, and uh, I've, I've been overseas, Ben. I've been uh, been on the other side, I guess, if you want to say it that way, a little more dramatically, right? On the other side of the pole. Uh, on the, yeah, that's right. On the other side of the Atlantic for uh, a significant amount of time. I was over there for a uh, full two weeks. Yep. And uh, we did quite a trip. I'll just tell you briefly about it, and sure. uh, it leads to kind of an interesting driving experience. Uh, we went to Barcelona for three days, did a, uh, a Mediterranean cruise, which took us to Italy, France, back to Spain, and then we ended up in Ireland. Uh, you know, it's just part of the trip flying back over. And uh-huh. in Ireland, we stayed for three days. And what's unique about this and where this kind of comes into the car stuff thing, we rented a car in Ireland. Huh. And renting a car in another country that drives on the left is a unique experience for someone like me. What kind of car did you rent? I rented a, uh, well, here's the thing. It's a, uh, it was a full-size vehicle, is what they call a full-size vehicle, which is a Mazda 6, a brand new Mazda 6. Uh-huh. Um, of course, the driver sits on the right-hand side, which was unique for me. I mean, I've done that one other time, but it was an automatic car. This was a manual and a diesel, which uh-huh. was really unique, strange. Um, not so much that it's strange to drive a diesel. It's just that driving a manual transmission vehicle from the right-hand side of the vehicle on the left-hand side of the road, that was, well, that was difficult to get used to. But, um, I, I tell you, you know, I was really concerned about it once I did it for even an hour. Yeah. I was relatively comfortable with it. It's strange, isn't it, how quickly we can acclimate ourselves to changes like that. Have you ever had a, a driving experience like that? You know, something completely out of the ordinary? Uh, you know what? I've never been driving in those situations. I've never rented a car in Europe or anything like that. Mm-hmm. 
I was just a I was just a mooch man, just public transit and shotgun seat rides for me. A mere passenger. Uh, you know the only passenger. the only real trouble uh, trouble I had, and I I told you the uh, shifting was uh, something that that came relatively quickly because you know the the pattern worked towards my leg, I guess, towards my left leg. Mm. Um, you know, instead of working away from your right leg as you normally would here, as we normally would here in the states. And I picked that up pretty quickly, but you know the uh, the pedals, of course, were no issue because they're exactly where they are in the, in the cars here on on the left side. Uh-huh. Uh, driving on the left, I thought that was going to give me a lot of issue, but it it, rel- it comes relatively easily. Uh, there were a few times when I thought maybe I'm on a one way road. I wasn't quite sure, and then it, you know it was uh, consoled by the fact that I saw a sign facing the the correct way because you know <laughs> there may be a car parked on the wrong side of the road or something, and it leads you just for an instant to think. Am I am I on a well, one way road? Am I on the wrong side at this point? You know, you you have to quickly go through these thoughts, you know, and, mm. and realize like, okay, this I'm doing the right thing here. And speaking of going quickly through some thoughts, uh, listeners, you may have noticed that our intro here is a little bit longer than our usual intros. However, do not be deceived because today. For the first time ever, Scott, you and I are embarking upon a different kind of podcast, as we mentioned in the beginning, and that is a podcast called One More Thing. One More Thing. Yeah, that's right. And it's going to be just kind of a, uh, a somewhat rapid fire uh, mm-hmm. show and where we go through many different topics. You know, we're not going to do any listener mail in this one like we nope. do in, in Nuts and Bolts typically. Right. Uh, and we'll come back to Nuts and Bolts. If oh, yeah, but, yeah. uh, but this one more thing, you know, you've heard us say that many times over the, uh, over the years. Multiple times in the same episodes. Like, oh, there's just one more thing I want to tell you. And this is kind of a, a catch all and it's maybe not even so much, um, you know, Stuff that we forgot in other podcasts, like, you know, there's that, you know, those facts in the Dale that, you know, we forgot to mention in that oh, episode. Yeah, yeah, and like, yeah. I, I came back in another episode and said, ah, just one more thing I want to tell you about that. Uh-huh. Maybe not so much that, but more like stuff I see or questions that I want to ask you, mm-hmm. questions you want to ask me. Yeah. Um, just, just kind of things that are, you know, hanging out there that aren't full episodes themselves. Right. Yes. Uh, that's, that's a really great way to put it too, because there are, Plenty of things where we have kicked around an idea for an episode and said, ah, man, I don't know, maybe there's not enough there to put out a full episode on. Exactly, like this whole thing with, you know, the driving on the wrong side and all that. Which is fascinating. The only thing, I mean, and there's a lot more to this, and I'm going to cut it very short here, but the only thing that really gave me an issue the entire time I was driving was that since I was on the right-hand side of the car, driving on the left side of the road... I couldn't gauge where the left front edge of the car was. Ah. And it was, to begin with, it was a bigger car than what I'm used to driving here in the States, so slightly bigger. Yeah. Uh, that was already one small issue, but then it's so different on that side trying to gauge the, the front left versus being on the left and trying to gauge where the front right is, because I can do that with just about any vehicle. Also, the roads are much tighter there, too, oh, right? so narrow. So when I'm driving you know, on a, on a backcountry road, and in Ireland, they, I mean, they have either a stone wall on the side, you know, right to the very edge of, of the, uh, the road, right where the, sure. the white line would normally be. Yeah. Or there's, uh, there's brush that's cut in a, in a, uh, almost like a wall. It's flat. And then if you've got a truck coming the other way on an already narrow, um, you know, passageway. Yeah. Um, I was favoring more towards the left side, you know, towards the, uh, towards the, the brush. Right. And there were a couple of brushes with, uh, with some of the, uh, you know, the, the branches and things, but minor, I didn't tear the mirror off or anything like that. Right. And, and there wasn't any scuffs on the car. 
and I didn't hit any curbs or anything like that, but um, the left front side is just really, really difficult to gauge when, when you're on the other side of the car. Oh man! And, that, and that's about all I have to say about that. It was a, <laughs> it was a unique experience. I mean, hopefully I'll do it again sometime. It was fun. I really liked it. I, I recommend it if you get a chance to ever do it. It's 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 not as difficult as you may think. Did you have any of those uh, Jesus take the wheel moments? <laughs> no, nothing like that. I never closed my eyes and, <laughs> and prayed or anything like that. Um, you know, it uh, it worked out okay. And um, I'll tell you, I was pretty relieved when I returned the car unscathed, though. Yeah, and. Uh, Kudos to you, though, for doing it, because in a lot of travel environments, the only way you can really get to see uh, stuff off the beaten path, as mm-hmm. it were, is to rent your own transportation. And somehow. we did, and it was totally worth it. It was uh, it was maybe the best three days of the entire trip. Uh, so I've got something I wanted to start off with uh, that, I don't know, I didn't think it was quite a full podcast, but it's so interesting, and maybe it's a blog post too, and that is one of my favorite people, the current living Uber inventor of the United States in the automotive world, the real-life Iron Man, that's right, Elon Musk, uh, head of Tesla Motors, uh, owner, founder of PayPal, all that slow jazz, he did something amazing quite recently, and you've heard of this, right? Well, what is it? He said, you know what? Patents are killing innovation, and he's got this great blog post about it. Patents uh, are killing innovation. He said patents are killing innovation, and so he decided that we. He decided that Tesla's uh, company, right, Tesla Motors, is not defined by these patents. And he said, "Listen, every other person in the world, if you want to use these patents to." Uh, to make better electric cars, to make electric cars, go ahead. Wow! Usually, people protect those with their life. I mean, that's uh, the patents are what keep an industry go- or a business going, right? Right. Here, if I could just read part of this from sure. this blog post, of course. All right. Uh, he says, "When I started out with my first company, Zip Two, I thought patents were a good thing and worked hard to obtain them. And maybe they were good long ago, but too often these days they serve merely to stifle progress." entrench the positions of giant corporations and enrich those in the legal profession rather than the actual inventors. After Zip2, when I realized that receiving a patent really just meant that you bought a lottery ticket to a lawsuit, I avoided them whenever possible. And he said, you know, he goes on to say, I'll paraphrase this part. He said at Tesla, they felt like they had to make patents out of concern that big car companies would copy their technology and then use their manufacturing sales and marketing power to overwhelm Tesla. And um, he said, we couldn't have been more wrong. Electric car programs at the major manufacturers are small to non-existent, uh, far less than 1% of their total vehicle sale. So... They uh, said it's impossible for Tesla alone to build electric cars fast enough to address the carbon crisis, which is very important to Elon Musk. So he's saying for the better good, ignore these patents and, and let's just make this whole thing work because I believe in it that much. Yep. Our true competition is not the small trickle of non-Tesla electric cars being produced, but rather the enormous flood of gasoline cars pouring out of the world's factory every day. So he's trying to nudge the rest of the market along. So and, that's, and that's the, crazy, huh? This is the first time I've heard this. This, uh, this is pretty remarkable. I mean, he's going, he's flying in the face of everything that every big business has ever said, really, because the patents are, again, like I said, 
they, uh, that's what keeps their business or their industry going is that they've got the patent on something and they're able to produce something that no one else can. Yeah, in their Palo Alto headquarters, they had a wall of all the patents that they had racked up for Tesla, which, you know, if you've listened to any of our earlier podcasts on Tesla, you know already that they have an enormous, uh, enormous amount of innovation. It's a remarkable machine. It really is. Yeah. I mean, so for him to say, Please use this as you need to in order to make something that uh, that that truly works. Uh, that's that's remarkable. That's uh, that's that's really cool. One last quote, and sure. we'll leave it here, just okay. because I I could talk way too long about this one, and <laughs> well, we want to do rapid fire. So, okay. um, here's one of my favorite quotations from what Musk said about setting his patents free for everyone. What we are doing is a modest thing, he said. You want to be innovating so fast that you invalidate your prior patents in terms of what really matters. It's the velocity of innovation that matters. Hmm. All right. I like that. Interesting. Yeah, very cool. I'm going to look that up and uh, read the entire thing. All right. I've got uh, two that I'd like to do together because like, they kind of uh, they kind of relate. Um, one, and this is really inconsequential, really. I mean, what happened was um, recently, and this is an unusual thing that happened, I ran over a complete sealed headlight system with my car one morning on the way into work. What? Yeah, somebody in front of me in traffic, and I didn't know this, somebody in front of me in heavy, heavy traffic in downtown Atlanta, um, ran, you know, had, had ran into each other. They, they bumped sure, it together. Okay. And the headlight system from, um, you know, hang on one second, I'll tell you what it is. A Toyota 4Runner. That was what it was, the vehicle, and I'll find this out later. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell okay. you how I found this out. The, the entire left front headlight had fallen out of this thing and not broken on the, on the ground. So it's laying there complete, you know, like those big assemblies that you get, you know, the the, the full yeah. thing, everything. Weird. Sealed system. It didn't so break. It didn't break. Now, the car in front of me um, went around it to the right, and I was going straight ahead, didn't see it until the last second, and I hit it with my left front wheel and my right, I'm sorry, and my left rear wheel. But the, when the left front hit it, it sounded like an explosion. I tell you, wow. it, it was just like a, a huge bang. I had no idea what happened. It's kind of like... You know, I ducked my head down and I was like, what is going, you know, like where your yeah. shoulders go up, like almost stopped. I didn't stop. I kept rolling, but I pulled into the, the next parking lot and uh, and I thought, what the heck? Well, I still didn't know what it was even because I just saw something that I hit and I figured it was my tire blowing out or something. Right. That's it, what it would sound like. Right? So I parked the car and I walked back on the sidewalk and I looked in the, in the, um, in the lane of traffic where I was yeah. and there was glass spread for a good, I don't know, seven to 10 feet. On either side, like it had blown out left and right, you know, across mm-hmm. across the lane mm-hmm. of traffic. Um, so I had hit this thing just dead solid right in the middle, and the noise that it made because it's a sealed system was so intense. I, I thought I really didn't know if like my my back glass had shattered or the window or the wheels had popped or what. Yeah. Um, no damage at all to my tires. The Weird. tires the tires stayed inflated. I thought I was going to have a flat tire, but in the parking lot then, and this is how I know it was that vehicle. Yeah. I saw the two guys talking that had the accident, and I saw the vehicle that had the missing headlamp. So I understood uh, where it came from, then, okay. you know, that it had just happened. They were still discussing you know, insurance or whatever. And um, this kind of dovetails into the next one, which I, didn't have to get, I did not have to get new tires or anything. But the other day I was driving past, uh, and this is kind of a word of caution, I guess, to our listeners. All right. The other day I was passing a, a used tire place. You know, they, they sell new and used. Right. And the used tire salesman, I feel like I may have mentioned this before, Ben, but because this is the second time I've seen this okay. ever in my life. All right. The guy had a stack of used tires out there. And, you know, you see these on trucks all the time. Sure. Going to and from. You wonder where they're going to. Usually you're thinking the junkyard, but they're right. not. They're going no, to, they're going straight to that used tire that's place. That's right, on the shelf, right? So the guy has them stacked up, like, on top of each other in a, in a column. And he has in his hand 
a car spray paint gun. Like, you know, for, uh, like that they, um, are they, you serious? They would use to paint a vehicle, you know, the, the typical yeah. air compressor type gun, right, right? right? He's painting the tires flat black. So all these tires that, you know, come in that, you know, they're of questionable amount of tread, you know, they've sure. got very, very thin tread, but when they arrive, they're all gray and dried out and cracked and everything. Yeah. The cracks are still there if you look carefully enough, but he's painting them a flat black. So, you know, the, the tread surface and some, I guess, some of the uh, the surrounding edges of them, right? Yeah, some of the wall. He's making them appear much better. I'm sure that he's doing the walls at some point. You know, he lines them up a different way to yeah. paint those. But um, I just thought that would be a word of caution to people that, you know, you can go there and you think, like, this tire looks brand new and it's only 20 bucks. What's, what's you know, what gives? The tread's worn out, but it looks like it, it you know, it's a brand new tire built this year or whatever. Um, they may be a lot older than you thought because the tires that he had not yet sprayed yeah. were like a you know a light gray you know because they were sun faded, faded and cracked and bleached and everything. Uh, but he was making them look brand new again. So and I know I'm not the only one that's seen this. You know I know that people know this happens and and I should have you know remembered this because I saw it years ago. I think yeah you know, them doing the same thing, but it caught me again. And I think it, you know it's a good trick. I guess it's a pretty slick <laughs> it's a slick trick, but you got to really watch out for stuff like that. Right. Yeah. One of the one of the best ways for people to avoid this. First off, there's nothing wrong with going to use tire place. It can be expensive to get new tires. No, I totally agree. I, yeah. I you know what? Recently, I just bought two used tires for my wife's vehicle. She's going to trade it in. Yeah. I had a couple of bald tires. We did it, you know, like the rotation and sure. swap with two used ones that were better than her used ones. Yeah, and that's that's something that quite a few people do. Um, and it all depends on what you want from your car, right? Like mm-hmm. you're not going to use use tires if you're racing, but if you're just using something for your daily driver, buying used tires is fine. One of the best ways to avoid that kind of trick is don't don't be content just to listen to the person's description of the tires that they want to put on your car. What you need to do is see them yourself before they take your old tires off. You know, yeah, because they'll walk you in the back room and show you what they have available. They'll say, "I have two of these, or I have four of these, and here's how they match." Um, you know, you can take right. them out in the sunlight and take a good look at them, make sure they're not cracked or you know old like the ones I mentioned. Yeah, don't be afraid to do that because if they're reputable, they won't mind you doing. And don't be afraid to walk away either. I've I, there've been times in my past been when I've bought used tires almost exclusively. You know, I went from used set to used set to used set. Yeah, and. Honestly, they, they last so long that um, I, I didn't feel like it was a bad deal. Like after three sets, you know, would it have been better to buy one new set? Mm-hmm. I think I got more out of the three sets than I would have out of, you know, one new set because there was still so much tread left on these things. And it was at a time when I just didn't have the money to put into new tires. Right. Because they're very expensive. So, um, yeah. yeah, don't don't be afraid to walk away and, and definitely look at what you're buying first. So I've got a, another one here um, that dovetails really nicely into okay. this. Uh, and that is four of the most expensive car problems. Hmm. Okay. Four of the most expensive. Uh huh. Hmm. Um, okay. So number four, air conditioning compressor. And we all know what an AC compressor does. It allows the air to cool inside of the car, separates high and low pressure air, uh, where, you know, it can help the Freon do its work, cooling you down. It can malfunction due to a rod or valve inside the compressor or another part of your car, like the engine belt. Something happens with that. That can make your compressor malfunction. Those things are so finicky. 
They are so touchy. And so expensive. Yeah. Uh, anywhere between 200 and $600, depending on your car, depending Ouch. on what makes it go wrong. And that's probably just the, the part price. Yeah. That's not the labor. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so then we've got, of course, head gasket. The word head gasket has just probably inspired terror in uh, numerous car drivers just in the last 24 hours, right? Probably. That's right. That's something that uh, you hear a lot about. You know, the head gasket goes so it's uh, the thing that keeps the uh, the oil and coolant from mixing together right. uh, as they travel through your engine. Right. And uh, that typically goes bad. I mean, unless you've got a like a racing copper version of this, um, yeah. you know, these things are just made of neoprene or whatever they are. And, uh, and you know, sometimes they'll have a little bit of copper in them or some type of fiber. Sure. But uh, it's something that notoriously goes bad on cars, and it's a huge job to get to it. Yeah, it's a huge pain in the keister to get to. Just just to get to inside your engine, uh, and it can cause disastrous consequences fairly quickly. We're talking discolored oil, leaking coolant. Uh, the engine will start pu- puffing out white smoke like uh, they just chose a new pope or something. It is <laughs> it is bad news all around, especially when you start thinking about the cost of this guy, which can easily be. Uh, between twelve hundred and sixteen hundred dollars, and see that's the labor because that's I've, the labor. I've had jobs uh, done on my vehicles where um, either I, I can't remember now, Ben, if it was like the head gasket had gone, and they said, "Well, let's do this and this," because to get to this point, you have to pretty much to remove the front end of the vehicle. Right. So you know, in that particular vehicle, it was an Audi. Um, uh, yeah. So you had to do a lot of work to get to it. I think I can't remember if it was that that went bad or something else, and it was like, "Well, we're here." Let's do it now because the cost to get back to this point is going to be so restrictive that you're not going to want to do it in the future. Yeah, yeah, and don't even get me started on uh, the accessibility or lack thereof when it comes to Audi engine. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, so number two, transmission replacement. Uh, this is ah, uh, this is a huge pain. There are a lot of drivers even now who are just playing that game how long can i ride this transmission out you know i don't blame anybody cuz it can be tough right mm-hmm. uh the cost of a new transmission can be devastating that's an average of uh 1800 to 3500 for a replacement ooh yeah. ouch if and you know that's deceptive cuz it's an average yeah but what if you get a used transmission from somewhere that they just have one on the shelf yeah. the problem is you don't know if it's going to have all the gears if it's going to really work when they put it in right You've never really gone through. They may not have gone through that. It's just a used one sitting there that they can throw in. Well, a um, clutch or uh, transmission repair is another option. Too, yeah, sure. Okay. This is a slippery slope to go on because there's so many different variables with this thing. You know, like yeah. what, what you get really. Have they opened it up and checked it all out and put it back in? Because that's going to be more expensive than the one I mentioned that comes off the junker. You know, that uh, they throw on a shelf and they keep it there for 10 years. And then someone comes in and says, hey, yeah, I do have a Buick that I need to transfer. So, um, oh, yeah, that's right. We've got one in the back corner of the shop. It's been here for six years. Yeah, we call it Old Faithful. <laughs> it's uh, always been here. The number one, this shouldn't, re- this should not surprise anybody, the blown motor. Ah, yes. Okay. I, I could figure that one. Tra- engine and trans, I kind of knew those were going to be top yeah. one and two. But we're talking a blown engine can come from broken rod, damaged valve, leaking oil, um, sometimes your car has just way too many miles on it, and that's when you really start to see the uh, benefits or 
the problems of all the little things you did or did not do to take care of your car. Sure, oil consumption becomes an issue because you know yeah. the rings are wearing out, and you know, the sleeves have got uh, some grooves, nice grooves in them, and lots of oils blowing through there, and you're burning oil, and uh, it's just it's it it can be uh, again sl- same slippery slope as with transmissions. You know, like the one little thing happens, and then another, and another, uh-huh. and it becomes a bigger and bigger problem. And I, I put these in the exact same ca- same category with you. Know, you can buy the used one that's on the shelf and take your take your chances. The yeah. game Gamble, yeah. or you can get one for a lot more money that they've gone through and made sure that everything is solid, and uh, and and put it in there. Um, I don't know. It, it just it's a matter of comfort at that point. What you're going to do with the vehicle, you know, you plan to hang on to it. You plan to right. sell it. It's yeah. just uh, it's, it's it becomes a numbers game. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian, someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. That's the that's the big thing to say. That's exactly what it is. I would describe it more as a numbers game because we, we do have some podcasts that can help you out with that if you ever have that moment where you say, well, my car is X number of years old Mm -hmm. and the repair is Y number of dollars. Mm -hmm. So what, at what point is it worth the money to buy a different When am I saving money and when am I actually blowing through all my, all my saved up cash? All right. So Ben, I got one here that, uh, this is more something that I just have seen. Oh, good. Stuff's got seized. Yeah, I guess this is stuff's got seized, I suppose. But this is, this is unusual and it's not a joke. This really happened. Last Tuesday, I was, uh, I was out at lunch from, from here, from this office, and I was out on Peachtree Road, which is right in front of our office, and, <laughs> of course, Peachtree Road in Atlanta, how many are, there's 36 or whatever of those, right, but, yeah. or 56. Um, this is so strange, Ben. I saw a car driving down Peachtree Road. It went through the intersection right in front of me, 
with the gas pump stuck in the oh. in the uh, in, in the filler. Yeah. And and I thought, and my initial thought, and because I only saw this for about four seconds, my initial thought was, it's it's one of those joke, one of those gag ones, right? Because it had a green handle and it had a length of hose to it. But the 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 thing I know that the the reason I know this is real, it had about eight feet of hose with it, and the coupler was still attached to it, and it was skipping along on the pavement. Oh my gosh! And people around this person like honking their were horns, honking as they went through the intersection to try to get the person's attention. I was so distracted by seeing this happen because I, in my, in my life, I've never seen this happen. I've heard stories of it and I've seen the joke version that has, you know, the, the handle and a, you know, maybe a two foot section of hose. Right. Yeah. That's kind of tattered at one end. That's not really how it happens. It ha- it breaks at that coupler. Uh-huh. You know, there's a, a, desi- a coupler designed to break free that, that cuts off the gas flow at the pump so there's no fire damage. Right. Yeah. And that's, you can see that linkage next time you're getting gas. If you look up, it'll usually be at the top. Of the installation, yeah. right? And, and so this hose that's trailing along, it's about eight feet long, maybe longer, and it's skipping along the pavement, and I was so distracted by it. I, saw, I know it was a red car. I don't know what kind of car it was. I didn't uh-huh. see who's driving. I couldn't even take any of that in because I was just looking at that pump trying to figure, is that real? And I saw people next to me at the light, you know, on either side of me, kind of chuckling to each other and, like, you know, forehead slapping, like, yeah. oh, my gosh, I can't believe I just saw that. And really, that's the first time in my life I'd ever seen that in person, you know, without it being some kind of joke. But it's a strange thing. It does happen, I guess. Uh-huh. It, you've got to be so absent-minded for something like that to occur. <laughs> well, everybody has their off days. I guess so. You know, never say never, right? I mean, <laughs> I like to think that would never happen to me because I don't get back in the vehicle after I'm filling, filling right. the, the tank. But um I guess, again, never say never. You never know what happens. The worst thing that most people have done is driving with your gas cap still open. Yeah, I People see have done that before. Yeah, I see that happen a lot. That's, yeah. uh, that's pretty common. Or you leave it on the pump, you know, if it's one that doesn't oh, yeah, connect yeah. to the vehicle. Yeah. I see that a lot where I pull in and the, the person before me had left their gas cap on the pump. And yeah. I think, man, that's an expensive mistake because if they don't come back for it, it's probably, you know, a $20 cap. Because there's a lot of venting. They're all very specific now. Right. It's not just a generic cap. It's got, you know, specific venting and um, even a size, even. A lot of them are, are different sizes. Nice proprietary features that are just different enough. Yeah, just enough that you have to buy them from the dealer or, right. you know, maybe an aftermarket's place. But yeah. Expensive mistake. All right, so let's get back to our one more thing discussion. And uh, and there's something that I'd like to talk about real quickly here, Ben. We don't have to spend a lot of time on this one at all. But there's something that I've been doing for many, many years and I have a feeling that a lot of our listeners do the same thing. All right. And it, check me if I'm wrong in this, Ben. But when I go into a uh, a restaurant or um, a smaller a smaller business, let's say like a, a print shop or wherever I'm going, okay? Yeah. When I go in and as I'm parking, I'll see a car outside, like maybe a an unusual vehicle, something that's uh, maybe it's a car that has like an airbrushed. Uh, Firebird on the hood, or, uh, right, or yeah. um, you know, it's a custom van, you know, from the 1970s, yeah. or it's a it's a really cool Mustang, or you know, I go into a restaurant and last you know last month I went to a restaurant and there was an Audi R8 parked outside that had like full carbon fiber race kit on it, like a wide body kit oh. on an R8, and it, as I walk into the restaurant or business or whatever. I try to pick. I try to figure out who owns that specific vehicle. <laughs> it's like it's like I'm car profiling as I walk in. Yeah, I, I see one vehicle. I focus on that, and then I go in and I say, "Okay, now I'm looking around. Who owns that car? Who's the Who's the individual that I can look at?" And I don't ask anybody. I don't say anything. But I try to keep an eye on who who leaves the restaurant. And if I can see it, if I can see when they leave, or if I happen to be walking out at the same time, a small place or whatever. 
I always try to figure out who owns that specific vehicle based on the way they appear, the way they're talking, uh, the way they look, whatever it is. Just I can, I can, and I'm getting pretty good at this. You know, <laughs> I, can, really? I can pick out like, all right, here's a, a Mustang convertible from 1990. You know, who owns that that right. classic Fox body Mustang that's there? That um, you know, which one of these people, these 12 people that's in this restaurant, owns that? And I can I can usually yeah. get her, or you know even out of these thirty people who owns that I can I can usually pick the person. You know that's uh, that's really interesting because I know that some people do that with dogs as well. Really? Like who owns that dog? Huh? Yeah, I've I've seen that before at, at a dog, dog at a dog park. Yeah, yeah, at a dog park. Huh? Um, I've played that game with cars, of course. Especially for me, it's always when there's a car that stands out, either as a fantastic top-of-the-line unique car or the complete opposite spectrum. Yeah, a POS. You know, uh, right, yeah. Who brought this POS bound by only duct tape and prayers yeah. all the way to this convenience store, and what are they buying today? And so you do the same thing, and, and how would you say you are on accuracy? On accuracy, when I've been able to verify it, I have definitely gotten better over the years. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty good now. However, there's still a couple cur- curveballs, you know. Now, I'm glad to hear that I'm not the only one that does this. And I, I would assume that a lot of our listeners do this type of thing. Because if there's a standout vehicle, and it can't just be like, okay, who owns that gray sedan over there? No. Because that and could be... How would you guess? That could be anybody. Yeah. I mean, really anybody. But but who's bringing, you know, the uh, the Indy 500 pace car Corvette here? You know, who is right. who has that one? You know what's uh, who's driving that specific vehicle today, uh-huh. and, and try to pick them out either based on the way they're dressed, the way they're acting, the way they're talking, yeah, um, or just simply the way they look. I, I can I'm pretty good at this now. I I could totally see you being fantastic at it. I would have to ask though, um, have you ever used stickers like bumper stickers as a clue? No, no, I don't think I have. Bumper stickers are are a huge clue because mm. you know they. I personally, I don't care for bumper stickers and I've never put them on my own cars. Same here. Um, but for a lot of people, it's a way for them to convey their identity or something. So. Now you say bumper stickers. Now what I have done, anybody that knows me is going to realize like, well, I have put stickers on my car. Uh-huh. Pre, I'm, I make, I want to be clear about this. Uh huh. Pre Fast and the Furious movie days, you know, like, the, <laughs> I mean, the new versions of yeah. Fast and Furious. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I'd throw a few racing stickers on my cars and stuff like that, you know, like uh, things that I thought were really cool. And it looked neat. And it was kind of fun to do. Not a lot of people were doing it at the time. Now it's it's become, well, for a while it was a huge trend. And that's about when I stopped doing it. And it wasn't just because of that. It's just I felt kind of silly then at that point. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to be part of that whole thing. I was doing it before that. And, you know, I, I don't know. Some people didn't really agree with it. Some people thought it was a little silly, a little goofy. I can show you some photo examples of it if you want later. But, um I don't know if people could profile me based on those as well. And maybe they could have said, yeah. "Yeah, this is the clown that has you know the the racing stickers on on his uh, you know Honda CRX outside." I I I don't know if people are judging you that harshly for it, man. Well, uh, those kind of racing stickers are pretty popular. Well, you know, at the time they were not. I'm talking like early '90s, early. Yeah, I don't know. I think they make a car look good as long as they're well done. Yeah, it, well, they were. I, I would say okay. that they were. It wasn't uh, it wasn't a sloppy job. I always took. A lot of time with them. I was very meticulous with this. Yeah, you better because if uh, because nothing makes a car look as well, clownish as I've shown you. I've call. shown you my Festiva. Yep, you remember yep. that vehicle? Uh-huh. I did all that work myself. So uh, oh. you know, that's uh, that's one example. Not bad. I didn't know you did them yourself. All right, uh, I've got one. Okay, for our one more thing here. This is interesting. 
every so often because you and I feel uh, that we w- we want to be responsible to our listeners and cover every aspect of car driving, car ownership, etc. Right? Mm-hmm. That's our continuing mission. Sure. To, to quote Star Trek, um, we've talked about one of one of the less fascinating topics for a lot of people, but it's a necessary evil, and that is car insurance. So I took a look at the most expensive car insurance in the United States. Really? Mm-hmm. And, most expensive. And uh, it goes by city, right? Okay. Broken down by city primarily. So I have to ask you, do you have a guess for number one? My guess? I, I'm just, I'm going to guess one of two cities. Okay. Can I do that? Yeah. Please. Okay. I'm going to say New York or Chicago. Those are both good guesses. The correct answer is Detroit. Really? Yes, sir. Oh, why was I thinking of Detroit? Okay. The average annual I, premium is a little under $11,000. Whoa. Now, I know that when I came here from Detroit, I was in the Detroit metro area, not in downtown, I got a significant break in my in my oh, insurance. Yeah. I mean, it like it, it cut in half between between Detroit and Atlanta. Well, part of that is because, yeah, Atlanta's number 26 on the list. Oh, okay. Um, right in part, the middle. Part of that is that... Uh, Drivers in Detroit have high insurance rates because there's a high crime rate in Detroit. And also, Michigan has a little bit of a wonky no-fault insurance system. Yes, they do. Right? So under the state law in Michigan, which is a good thing to know if you're not from Michigan, because I did not know this, uh, insurance companies have to pay medical expenses, lost wages, and property damage regardless of who caused the accident. Yeah, and you pay for it on the front end, I'll tell you that, because uh, because as you said, even even a basic plan is relatively expensive there. Right, and nobody has set a cap on the claim rewards yet, or awards. Oh, boy. So um, this is not uniformly high, though. Uh, The study that I was reading found that these premiums varied greatly. So in Rosedale Park, for instance, State Farm would give you a policy for twenty five grand a year, while another insurance place, Hanover, would give you uh, insurance for a little bit under five thousand. Now, aren't those numbers? Those numbers are crazy high, aren't they? Yeah, they are crazy, crazy I mean, high. When we know how much they are here, now it, it would it would shock people from that area to look up rates in other states, and it, maybe they haven't done that, but it would it would probably be a mad an ex- exercise uh, that would make you very mad uh, if you did that because you'd realize just how much you're overpaying for that insurance. Right. Yeah. Just for uh, some, just to spend a second on this, the um, the other things here that that might surprise people is that Detroit's average annual premium is twice more than twice as high as the second highest. Really? So they're way, way out in front. Yeah, New Orleans, second highest, 4,300-something. Oh, is it because yeah. of crime and location, I bet? Because there's probably a good chance that your vehicle is going to be a flood-damaged vehicle at some point in New Orleans. Right, yeah. It, well, it has some of the worst roads in the country, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it... Also has yeah you're you're right about the crime hate to point out but you are totally right about the crime it also has a state law that allows people to directly sue insurance companies after an accident okay so there's in both of those instances like you said in Michigan there's no cap on the on the uh, on the amount of I guess money that you can receive from the insurance company right and in this one you said what was the uh, you can sue the insurance company okay. directly so both of those leave them wide open for lawsuits and right. and uh, and for Lots of money being poured out of the system. Which is why still in the top five 
Another Michigan city, Grand Rapids, is number three, hmm. and Baton Rouge is number five. Hmm, interesting. Uh, yep, and uh, I wonder if Flint, Michigan, gets it on, makes it on the list there anywhere. Let's see. I don't I actually. I don't see Flint, so it's not in the top thirty at least. Hmm. But I do know that, as we said, Atlanta is number twenty-six um, with an average insurance price of two thousand two hundred and twenty-four. Wow. Again, just to be safe, you guys. Whenever you hear an average like this about something that's such a big place, uh, you have to be very careful because averages can be deceiving. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what's interesting here, Scott? Uh, Chicago is on the list, uh, and New York City is right under it, and uh, that's uh, t- number 12 and 13 on the list, respectively. So, so relatively high in there, but I thought those were going to be number one and two. You would think so, just yeah. with all the opportunities to have horrific accidents. <laughs> Right. And just the congestion and, you know, they, they, they kind of don't want you to drive in New York City, it almost seems like. I mean, they want it's you to totally, use public transportation. Yeah. It's, uh, it seems like that. I know that, you know, that, that's a, a pretty negative way to look at it, but it, it seems like that when the, I was there. Yeah, the cost for an, uh, a parking spot in some areas of Manhattan is uh, more expensive than the average cost of an apartment in some other cities. Unbelievable. Yeah. Super expensive. Now, Ben, I want to tell you that I've got a couple here that I want to wrap up with at the very end. And okay. I, I'm, I'm only teasing this because they're probably the two most interesting ones that I've got for my entire day here, my entire podcast. So okay. um, I'll tell you the two that I want to wrap with, but I've got a couple more that I'd like to hit real quick if I can. Yeah. And there's one that, you know, it... It's it's bigger, but I'm gonna I'm gonna scale it way back, and I'm gonna let the listeners kind of look into this and, and make their you know develop their own theory about this. Right. Um, do you remember when we first started this whole podcast way back in 2008? Do you remember that fuel prices were just skyrocketing? They yes. were. It was like five dollars a gallon. Oh yeah, it was spiking heavily. Four four twenty five was the norm, and somewhere up to five dollars, it was like there was a, all types of weather issues, and um, you know the fuel. It was like a fuel crisis, a mini fuel crisis. Absolutely, that's and, fair. And if you also recall, they were talking about ethanol and biofuels and, and flex fuel, flex fuel, all types of yeah, yeah. flex fuel. That's all the same thing. And they're talking about alternative fuels. And there was this huge push that how are we going to make sawdust into uh, into right. gasoline and how are we going to, um, you know, use old diapers for gasoline. And, you know, there's all these, cra- you know, just crazy ideas about how what they're going to use for fuel. Right. And one of the big things they talked about was aerodynamics. You know, they got to improve aerodynamics on vehicles and we really need to push on this. And the thing that happened was a lot of these a lot of, a lot of sites popped up overnight pretty much they were offering aerodynamic add-ons for cars cars and trucks and i was thinking about this cuz i was on this this longer road trip this weekend this past weekend to indiana yeah and i drove up you know it was like an 11 hour one way trip and when i was on my way there and back i saw a lot of aerodynamic add-ons on trucks semi trucks you know tractor trailers and i was thinking all right well they've They've kept this idea up the whole time because they're adding things like, um, you know, these rear fairings that that add an extra five feet to the back end of the vehicle right. that kind of folds out. I'm sure you've seen them. Yeah, uh, a loose framework. It's not even enclosed or anything. It's just you know four, um, you know, I guess, great big sheets of material. I don't know if it's plastic or, or what they are, metal. Yeah. Uh, but it, it increases the uh, the the airflow over the back end of the vehicle. It creates creates less drag. Right. It decreases the drag coefficient. Exactly. And they've got things like aero mirrors, and they've got you know these uh, the, the the fairings. I guess they go over the roof cab, and yeah. you know the fairings that go between the cab and the and the trailer. They've got those giant ones now that everybody has seen. I'm sure that they go along the side of it between the wheels. You know the long distance between the the, the 
cab and the uh, right. and the back end, or on the trailer rather. Uh, so they've really kept up this idea. But for a while, there was a short time when people were thinking that we're going to need to increase aerodynamics on cars to the point where we're going to have to start adding things like that to our own personal vehicles. And so these people sold things like. Um, you know, unusual um, aerodynamic devices that you could add on to your car that you already own. Yeah, I remember some of those. Like, there's one that kind of angles up from the hood to the uh, to the windshield. Sure, right? it was almost like a uh, like a giant um, bug shield or something. Yeah. that you know, we see on trucks again that that you know keeps the bugs off the windshield, but it's also an aerodynamic advantage uh, because it it creates less turbulent airflow over the vehicle. Well, there's an article that I was looking at from 2009, and it was in Popular Mechanics, and I was thinking about you know how all these things have gone away, and the article it's kind of funny because it says. Uh, five real DIY aerodynamic mods that Detroit can add for miles per gallon in 2009. Uh-huh. And, you know, they, they thought, well, sure, you know, automakers have made cars more aerodynamic as time goes on because that's kind of the way that we've talked about, you know, they're able to get more mileage to, to meet these cafe standards. Right. You know, they've yeah. done just about everything they can with the current engine configurations that they've got. They're trying to eke every little mile per gallon out of them. Aerodynamics and lightweight are the way that they're trying to, to gain even more, and that's where the significant yeah. gains are going to be in the near future. So how many of these have we seen from Detroit since 2009, and, huh. and did they do them in 2009? Here's five that um, people were doing on their own with kind of you know just materials they find in their house or they can go to Home Depot and buy these things. Lay it on me. All right, now I'll go through them quickly. Um, grill arrow treatments, like where the person blocks off the entire front end of the vehicle and then they have a uh, a small vent that they can control airflow through, and that's it. The entire yeah. front end of the vehicle becomes flat, like you would have on an EV, because they don't require airflow through the vehicle, like like a a standard um, IC engine would. Oh, I just want to point out, those things look really cool too. They kind of do, yeah. I mean, I'm looking at this one right now, and it's on. I don't know. It looks like a Honda CRX or something. Yeah. And they've got the whole front end blocked off with this tiny little vent. Um, but yeah, it looks pretty neat. It gives it more of a race car appearance, really. Yeah, heck yeah. Um, but that's something that we don't see a lot of people doing is blocking the entire front of the vehicle <laughs> for good reason. Right. Uh, that will cause a lot of problems quick. Uh, truck bed caps, and it's not the kind that we're thinking of. Right. Yeah, it's not, I, I can see because you got the picture here. It's angled. It's a wedge. It's not a camping bag yeah, like you would no. think though. This is not really for cargo, even though you can put cargo in it. But this is more of an angular thing that creates the back end to, or makes the back end look more like a teardrop. Yeah, that's a really good way to say it. It gives it a, a, a smoother profile. Exactly right. And that's for any truck. And this one happens to be handmade. Uh, you know, you've got access to the back and everything, but it's, it's not about, you know, um, uh, like camping or, or it's not squared off in any way. It's right definitely, on. definitely angular. This one ties in with that and it's for cars. It's a boat tail design that somebody has made out of Bondo. And that is wow. the, that is the back end of a Honda CRX. You know, I'm impressed. With the the craftsmanship, just looking at it, like that's a nice sculpt. I mean, you yeah. can definitely tell it's Bondo. This this part, uh, the part that I'm looking at here, has been sculpted and smoothed. There's a part that's still rough that they're not finished with yet, but the sculpted and smooth part has integral uh, tail lamps. Um, it, yeah. it looks like part of the vehicle itself, and it's actually really really well done. But I haven't seen even one of these, Ben. I haven't seen anybody adding a boat tail to their car 
for aerodynamic purposes. No, I haven't. I haven't seen it. But, on the road. but we've seen it in car designs. You know, we've seen that. You know, the, sure. the, the Prius, of course, has that type of design almost. Yeah. Um, I think is that the right way to say it? Maybe, maybe not a boat tail design. It has, well, it has a tapered end. Yeah, there's a that's there, a better way to say it. There's a term for that. There's a, uh, a geometrical form that they use for that, but I can't remember oh, what it is yeah. now. But um, another thing that they use is uh, wheel skirts. I've seen those. Yeah. Now I have too, and I've seen them. I've seen people. I've actually seen this one where they put uh, pie pans on the wheels in order to uh-huh. reduce drag. For the yeah. wheels, but I'm talking about wheel skirts, and it's not a new idea. That's something that comes from the 1930s, right? And you can imagine that you know early on they did them for aerodynamic purposes, and then they did them for style, as we all know, all the way through the 1960s, maybe even the early 1970s. My my Chrysler has aero skirt or rear yeah. wheel skirts, but yeah. that's strictly style thing. That's what I was going to say. There's style thing for yeah. a lot of people, and it's usually it's typically rear wheels only, front wheels because they have to turn. They can't really enclose right. them yeah. unless they do kind of like a, an exterior fender type thing that moves with it. But um, I, I don't see people adding, you know, sheet metal or plastic or whatever wheel skirts to their car like they thought that we were going to back in 2009. Well, you know, uh, just one note on that, real quick. Some of my buddies who who do mods, mm-hmm. uh, they they put them on their cars, but they put them on. Purely for a stylistic thing, really? Yeah, so so that they, so that that back panel is seamless, yeah, and it looks like it's just it has um, a factory. That that's always their goal to make it look factory. You know, right, that can that be a, stuff. That so. can be a real cool look. I mean, it's yeah. it's neat and it has benefits too. I mean, it has the uh, the aerodynamic benefits. So you're you're gain miles per gallon. People claim that you can gain. Well, you, there's significant gains from something right. like that. Yeah, and let me go ahead and drop the. Drop a little reference to the elephant in the room, at least on the car manufacturer side. Even post that gas uh, gas price crisis, uh, car manufacturers have always maintained that it would be super easy for them to build a car that gets you know fifty five plus per gallon if they didn't have to uh, comply with regulatory. Uh, regulatory demands. Oh, they could go far higher than that, I think, because uh, just think about the weight of all these added systems that they have to include now. And every right. year, every year there's more, and that's what it all comes down to. Yeah, and I'm um, not, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But, it is saving lives, but I'm saying it's not, it's not as if, um, it's, it's not as if they only have this recourse to aerodynamic form, right? I understand. All right, yeah. and the last one here on my list that I want to mention is, uh, is something that's pretty easy to do, and some manufacturers kind of dabble in this already. Oh, yeah? Uh, this is the um, under tray for your vehicle, because the bottom side of a car is the roughest surface of your car, yep. and air flows underneath there just as it does over the top of your car, and if you could smooth that out like they do on race cars or they, like yeah. they do on supercars, uh, that is something that can benefit you as far as the way you know miles per gallon go, and that was what this article was all about: was increasing miles per gallon. Now, some of these people have made these out of plastic or aluminum, uh, something that's lightweight, of course, and it becomes a bit of a maintenance issue, you know, and that you have to um, remove that in order to do any kind of maintenance, and you're not immediately conscious of of any leaks that you may have underneath right, the vehicle. Yeah. Um, access is always an issue, but think about there's you know there's lots of sports cars with this treatment. Some sedans have, you know, engine compartments that are covered with plastic underneath, you know, just the front part. I've, I My Audi, again, had a tray yeah. like that, um, but you had to remove that in order to do even an oil change. And then there's also off-road vehicles that use plates and skid plates, but those are used for protection, you know, if you're off-roading. That, um, those are more of a functional thing, a functional thing when you're off-road 
versus when you're on the highway. They don't really add a whole lot or maybe even, you know, decrease from your miles per gallon. I don't know, because they're very heavy. Right. They're made of steel. Yeah. So, anyways, I thought it was interesting that, you know, we don't see a lot of these really creeping into uh, manufacturers, you know, wheelhouse, I guess. They're not building uh-huh. new cars with a lot of, um, you know, wheel skirts and boat tails and things like that. But I know that aerodynamics do play a factor in this whole thing. Uh, but we're not seeing exactly what they thought we would in 2009. Well, the market does as well, and you can only manufacture demand to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. You know? So if people don't want to buy a new car with those kind of designs, mm-hmm. then, of course, car makers are going to do it unless it's you know an explicit mandate. But, I mean, the whole point is that our focus has shifted. Oh, you know, from, absolutely. From 2008, yeah. everybody thought this was the way to go, right. and, and you just don't see those sites, and you don't see them profitable if you do see them. You know, they don't... Uh, I don't see any of that on the road at all. Right. And the days of the lumbering, gas-guzzling SUVs are still here, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, for a while, we thought that might be sort of the death toll mm-hmm. for those for those things. But as soon as gas even down, um, that gets me to a uh, really interesting one more thing, kind of dovetail, uh, which I don't have – I don't have too many notes on this one. But one thing that always perplexed me, Scott um, – is when we would hear about these gas price spikes, right? And they happen at the weirdest times. You know, they're more likely to happen during summer, for instance, mm-hmm. right? But what um, when I was studying international affairs at Georgia Tech on my lunch break, you remember those days, uh, I I asked some of our teachers about this stuff, some of the professors, and I asked them, uh, what does OPEC do? You know, what exactly does this consortium of countries do? If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together. We'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And my professors who came from all walks, all possible ideologies, etc., etc., foreign-born uh, professors, domestic-born professors, they universally said, well, OPEC exists to ensure the profits of the oil producers, right? So that OPEC, from the way they said it, OPEC's, uh, let me think exactly how they said this. OPEC's theoretical goals and theoretical purpose for being, um, are irrelevant because its actual purpose is to prevent uh, a glut of oil. So to control the amount of oil that hits the market at any one time to prevent the bottom from falling out. And that's when I started to learn something that I think would be a very good podcast for us to do, the price of gasoline per liter or gallon in other countries. Oh, buddy, they are, especially in countries, um, many of which are OPEC countries, that have a subsidy on their gasoline. Sure. Right. You know, if you're if you're listening to us in Western Europe, then you're paying so many taxes, taxes out the wazoo. Sure. When I was in when I was in Ireland. Yeah. I figured it out to be just above six dollars a gallon uh, because it was a dollar fifty nine per liter. And there's what, three point eight seven five liters per gallon. It's just over six dollars a gallon. And right. And that's not the highest price in Europe either. No, no, not by any means. Uh, so in, in the United States, of course, there are also there are uh, also various taxes that get tacked on to the price of gallons. But in uh, countries like Iran or Venezuela or Saudi Arabia, you know, big uh, producers, the gasoline is also subsidized, and these people are paying uh, much, 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 much less. Yeah. So I think we should do a uh, podcast on gas price liquidity because once people also once once investors began buying oil futures as well. That's when we really started to see some strange variations. Well, sure. So, so OPEC is an intentional bottleneck, is yeah. what is what it is, really. Oh yeah, yeah. So they're uh, they're they're intentionally slowing it down or allowing that to open up just a bit. So there's a, there's some give and take there. It's uh, it's an interesting thought process that goes behind what uh, what, what they do. Really, it's an interesting yeah, it's an interesting business, and I don't I don't blame the countries involved because it, were I on that side of the equation. And I was the source of uh, the supply. Then I would do the best I could to manufacture continual, predictable demand. Of course, why wouldn't you? Because that's right. your business. That's what you do. And this is not like De Beers, one of the other big uh, businesses that that does this kind of thing. Because people, most people, don't actually need diamonds. Diamonds do have industrial applications for sure, right? Sure. But most people don't actually need well, diamonds. I don't know, Ben. I mean, some people do need diamonds. Oh man! Some I mean I know some people they they feel like they need diamonds. Maybe. Ah, okay. Maybe that's the better way to say it. They're they're a girl's they, uh, best friend. Yeah, right? <laughs> that's right. As we as we've learned from all the advertising for the last one hundred years, or whatever, right? Right. I'd love to, uh, but just to put that shout out for our listeners, I'd love to hear 
uh, what you guys think about gas prices, both here in the U.S. and in other countries. All right, Ben. So this is uh, that's a good good point. We should do a, a podcast on that. I agree. Now I've got a total of about three things left that I'd like to talk about. Actually, four, but I think that one is maybe a, a bit long for this one. I, I really wanted to ask you about your Odyssey thing. Why you have such a uh, such a grudge against Odyssey drivers and owners? Um, is that for a new podcast? Maybe or? because okay. I think maybe your answer would be too long. How you think you could do it quickly? Yeah. Uh, okay, let's do it quickly then. So, so what's your grudge with Odyssey drivers or the Honda Odyssey itself? I don't know if that's it or not. If it, okay. Is it the people that typically drive them or is it the vehicle itself? Are you angry about the vehicle, Ben? Uh, you know, that is, that is a great question. First things first, I have nothing against Odysseys. Uh, excuse me. No, I do have something huge against Odysseys. I have nothing against Honda. Honda makes some phenomenal cars, honestly. I totally agree. Like the like you drive a Civic, right? The I do. Honda Civic um, has been the most popular car in the United States for a while, which also makes it the most stolen car in the United States. But these are cars that uh, were made to be uh, resilient and don't have necessarily obsolescence sure. planned in them. Remember, this is a this is a an engine company that happens to build cars. Exactly, and thank you for saying that. Uh, but Honda Odyssey, nothing against the drivers. Um, I don't know what their demographic would be. It maybe it's just confirmation bias, but Scott, I swear to you, every time that a Honda Odyssey is in front of me, something something that's a huge pain in the butt happens. Mm. Either um getting cut off so that they can go thirty miles an hour in a place that's clearly marked forty five, uh after the cutoff, which I don't understand. Uh, meandering out of towners, um, tailgating me, which everybody hates when somebody rides on your bumper like sure. that. Yeah, and, and you've I- even had an experience just this week. And and I only bring this whole thing up because you know you're talking about it again yeah. this week with me off air. We've talked about it many times on air. I know the yep. you know older listeners or listeners that have listened from the very beginning will know that this has come up often. It's got to be, uh, at this point, man, if I'm just being objective, it has to be something psychological, some sort of selective uh, data that I'm doing in my head because maybe I'm just not noticing all the hypothetical Honda Odysseys that are not a bane to my existence. Well, there's a term for that, right? When you're looking for something or when you, something's on your mind, you see that more often. And I can't remember what the term uh, is. Is it Bader-Meinhof? That is it. That's the one. And it, you were thinking... All right, there's some, I'm going to almost you're almost watching for them to screw up and you're maybe not watching for someone in a different vehicle like in a Jeep or something like that to screw up, but they're probably screwing up just as often in front right. of Right. Well, I probably just have a prejudice. You know, one of our when this first came out, one of our long-term listeners uh wrote to us and said that uh, she had a prejudice against gold cars. Mm-hmm. And she said much the same thing intellectually. I know that it can't just be that, but and I've I've voiced my opinion about uh, I think it's PT Cruisers that yeah. I mentioned specifically. <laughs> I mean, it just seems like eighty five percent of the time, not all the time, right? Eighty five percent or ninety percent or something like that. It's I have an issue with it, and and gold cars also, and that's another thing. I, I agree with that. Uh, so so gold PT Cruiser, that's the worst case scenario, or gold 
Honda Odyssey for you, right? Uh, yeah, no, um, literally. I almost yeah, had uh, someone cause an accident in a gold Honda Odyssey. It's strange. I mean, but I think it is this uh, Bader-Meinhof that you mentioned because yeah. it just gets stuck in your head and then you're looking for it and you see it more often than you would with anything else. You almost have a blind spot for other vehicles. And I know our listeners have similar things. They've got I their own the vehicles. I would too. Like, what's the, what's the one thing that just bothers you every time you're behind the wheel? Yeah, is there a car or a make a vehicle that you see while you're driving and you go, uh, here we go, one of those? Yeah, you're just waiting for something to happen. And, and then invariably, even if it's a little thing, you're like, oh, I knew it. I knew it was going to happen. <laughs> Look at that. Well, let me, um, I hope that wasn't too long of an answer. No, that's okay. Let me, uh, let me go with something that might interest people. Scott, you and I have talked about the Peterson Automotive Museum often. Several times. Yeah, but we've never done just a podcast on that. Correct. Uh, there, there are a couple of vehicles at the Peterson Museum that I thought would be really good so, to talk about. So I just wanted to give them a shout out. For anyone who doesn't know, the Peterson Automotive Museum is in the Miracle Mile neighborhood of LA on Museum Row. It's one of the large auto museums in the world and it's uh, part of a non-profit organization that specializes in auto history and related educational programs it's really young though it was founded in 1994 mm-hmm. um, and this this thing has some fantastic vehicles one of which I had never heard of which was the 1927 Pedroso Pedroso yeah no. um, so in the late 1920s, this guy, the Marquis de Pedroso, a wealthy Spaniard living in France, decided to build his own sports guard, because that's what you do when you just are born into millions of dollars. And uh, he wanted to build a car of his dreams, so he built this supercharged straight eight, ignition timing, adjustable from the dash, smart chassis, um, the... Passenger compartment is closer to the ground for sportier feel, but it's a very long car with just two seats at the wait, bare wait, bottom. Wait, 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 wait. The yeah. passenger compartment is lower to the ground for uh, for stability? Well, no, for sportier feel. That's awesome. This uh, this car, I mean, looking at yeah. the photo, it's a beautiful car, and that engine is huge, that big straight eight. It's a, it's a relatively small sports car with a yeah. wide open, you know, the kind of, uh, I don't know what you call those, what do you call those hoods that open like that? They're hinged at, at two oh, points. Oh, uh, clamps? No, not clamps. Uh, they, they open at two yeah, points yeah, yeah. Uh, from the side. I can't yeah. remember the name for it. I'll, I'll think of it as soon as we turn off this podcast, <laughs> as, soon as, we, as soon as we leave this podcast. Uh-huh. But um, that engine is gigantic for that small car. That must be a blast to drive. So uh, only two Pedrosos were ever built, and this is the only one that survives. Really? In the Peterson Museum. Uh, but they got this about 12 years ago with full blueprints. What? So what they a could build another one if they wanted. So they've oh, they got full blueprints for this vehicle. Yeah. That's maybe one of the, that, that's really interesting. So I'm, I'm gonna wait. Uh, I'm gonna wait on that. We'll just I'll save the rest of it. And you know what? That's the kind of thing that you know. In a few years, we'll probably hear that they're undertaking that type of project because uh, museums sometimes do that. They'll oh, take. Yeah, wouldn't it be awesome? Like uh, remember the uh, they rebuilt the Bluebird. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember the uh, the um, that was the the vehicle that held the speed record. Yep. The Campbell is that the the name? Yeah, um, Campbell. Campbell, who was uh, breaking the the water speed record at the time when when he crashed. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, Can uh, Coniston Water is that it? Yes, oh, the boy. Coniston Water. You uh, got, boy, you got yeah, it. Having a, a difficult time with my memory recently, but that's uh, that's probably it. Yeah, and they rebuilt that vehicle. And that was like a, a museum undertaking because they had blueprints. Yes. So if they rebuild this Pedroso, uh, what a cool thing that would be! And you know that Jay Leno would get it. Oh yeah, he would buy it. 
Oh, man, I hope he listens to the show. Jay, please help us out here. Uh, <laughs> what a cool car. Yeah, it is a really cool All car. All right, well, tell you what, Ben. We are, uh, we're running pretty long on this one because oh, there's, there's so many things. I've got a few more that I'd like to cover, but I'm not going to. But I am going to deliver on the two earlier promises. And with the idea that, you know, listeners can look these up because, I don't know, these, these two are maybe the most fascinating out of, out of the whole list. And listeners are going to say that, well, your whole list wasn't all that fascinating, Scott. But um, anyways, these last two are, I think, pretty cool. I'm going to show you a photo of a guy. Pretty ordinary guy, right? Yeah. Uh, nothing special about this guy. He's uh, he's dressed uh, appropriate for the era. I'm going to say, uh, I don't know when this was, 1930s maybe. I, I'll tell you in just a minute. Okay. For, for sure. Um, leaning on an, an umbrella, that's significant. This guy, Ben, the story of this guy, rather, comes from a site called The First Super Speedway. It's firstsuperspeedway.com. Uh-huh. I encourage listeners to go there and just take a quick look at this because um, this is about a guy that they call the 1905 Rainmaker. Now, what's interesting now, his name is Ned Broadwell, and he is a rainmaker, and he, he's a guy that was hired to spoil races. He would, he would be hired to go to certain events. Yeah. And just to attend. And by him being there, he could somehow conjure, um, you know, rain at these different events. Now, there's a reason behind these guys, because there's more than one. Ned was just one of many. Okay. Now, in September of 1905, so this goes way, way back, um, a lot of the automobile trade um, media was totally against what they called track racing. And that was when they used what was formerly racing courses for uh, for for horses uh-huh. for racing cars. Now this is you know the dawn of the automobile, 1905, very very early on. So you know people were accustomed to seeing horse races, but right. not automobile races on these kind of loose dirt surfaces that they were racing. Uh, like carriage uh, ruts know, and ex- stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So they were well, they were well groomed. So these are well groomed tracks, but it was a good place to hold an auto race. They thought. And they were really popular for for a lot of reasons, of course, because public roads were really poor at the time, but there were very few paved areas. Yep. Um, second is that because um, appropriating public roads for auto races always created some type of issue with community leaders uh, because they were seen as frivolous and dangerous at the time because it was a new pastime. No one really knew much about the automobile. The last thing is that charging spectators for observing races on regular roads was almost impossible. Oh, yeah. They didn't know how to contain... The area it wasn't there like there wasn't a road course set up anywhere. They would run it through town and they can't charge for it. So that was an issue as well. Well, in 1905, compounding with all of this, uh, there was a huge wreck that, um, that really just almost killed three of auto racing's biggest racers. It was Barney Oldfeld, Jay Webb, or I'm sorry, Webb Jay, and Earl Kaiser, or Kisser, I think. I think it's Kaiser. K-I-S-E-R, Kaiser. Okay. Um, but they were gravely injured in auto accidents in 1905, and so these uh, these religious groups decided, well, we can't have these things going on because you know this is uh, this is um, I don't know it's sacrilegious. We can't have something like this happening. It's the devil's sport, you know that type uh, yes. of thing, right? I mean, people weren't meant to go this fast, and uh, so so they they hired these guys who claimed they could drum up precipitation. At a moment's notice, uh-huh. these rainmakers. Yeah. And Ned Broadwell was one that they would hire to go to these events. At the, the religious groups would hire to go to these events to spoil them, to prevent them from ever happening. And Did that was work? the whole idea. Well, they said that, you know, with, with a lot of frequency, they would spoil these events. Now, uh. is that just coincidence or what? But um, the photo here of Ned it was taken at the Glenville Horse Race Track on August 14, 1905, just two days after Kaiser's accident at the same facility. And they say, just for the record, it rained that day. Huh. So he was there, and it rained. Now, 
take what you will from that, but are these rain makers or these rain, uh, you know, these these uh, these rain men? I guess. Sure. <laughs> was it, was it worth it for them to do that? And you know, strange purpose behind it. Fascinating. Yeah, it is. I were mean, they so, just were they only taking assignments when they knew it would rain? Well, I don't. You know, I don't know what a way to make a living. But you know, the races were going to happen on a specific day, anyways. Oh, that's right. And you and I know that races occasionally get rained out, anyways. Yeah, it's just a, even now a, a random chance thing. It just happens. But uh, interesting little history about those guys. My very last one before you go into our show ender. Mm-hmm. Um, so recently, Scott, our buddies at McLaren announced that they are resurrecting the GTR. For special track only edition of the P1 and it's a limited run model, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so details are scant, but McLaren says this P1 GTR, uh, will have 1000 horsepower. 1000 horsepower. Awesome. I love anything that McLaren is doing these days. It seems like they can't do anything wrong. So, you know, if, if they're saying this is a good program, I'm going to say that, you know, they're probably on the right target with it. You know, they're, yeah. they're on the mark. I'm going to have to dig into it and see. You know all the details, yeah. But still, what a cool thing! I wanted to ask about it because, or I wanted to mention it because in our previous episode, you and I had talked about whether McLaren was sandbagging. Mm, yeah, that's right. We did about the uh, yeah. the top speed record, right? Yep. So, are they going to come back? At, what was it? The Hennessy Venom GT? That oh holds yeah, the, yeah, yeah. That holds the current record. Now, are they going to? Uh, are they going to you know blast this you know, the, the, that car for top speed, or are they going to go to the Nurburgring? And just blow away the top, uh, the top contender there. I can't remember who's number one right now. We'll see. Yeah. But yeah. speaking of number one, we have our number one. One more thing. Yeah. This is the last thing and I'll make it sort of brief and let you investigate yourself on this one as well. This is maybe the craziest thing I've heard in a while, Ben. And it's something that happened, uh, a good, uh, 50 years ago. All right. All right. In 1962, 1963 and 1964, the city of Chicago held indoor drag racing. Now think about say that again. Think about that for just a moment. Indoor drag racing, and I'll show you. Some, there, there's plenty of photos online, and by by plenty, I mean maybe a dozen okay. photos online. Yeah. Uh, but what it shows is a warehouse that has been uh, has been left open, and I think it's a warehouse. I'll have to read this. Uh, this is a little. Oh, you know what it is? It is a it is a it's a building that was once used by the stockyards that they used to move uh, livestock in and out. Oh, okay. So it's this massive building. I mean, it's really really long, kind of narrow. But it has all the problems that you would associate with a warehouse or a factory. It has columns, and it has slick concrete floors, like polished concrete floors. Now imagine drag racing on that surface. Wow! I mean, that's amazing. That's yeah. you know, that's a surface that even you know um, skid loaders and and uh, forklifts have trouble getting grip on. And right. People. Yeah. So they're trying to drag race on this with with relatively hard tires at, at the time. And we're not talking about just like, you know, the guys from the, the neighborhood drag racing. We're talking about like, you know, the, the, the heavy hitters of the day, like Arnie Bestwick and, you know, some of the others that, you know, were the, the big shots at the time. They actually showed up to compete at these things. And it's crazy because, you know, at first they're indoors. Yeah. Can you imagine how loud that would have been? Oh, yeah. And the fumes because, you know, it's all contained. So all these photos have kind of a smoky appearance to them, you know, whether, whether drag racing. And it's exactly what you would think, you know, the way it looks. It's, it's a straight line shot. At the end, this is maybe the, the the most bizarre part of the whole thing. Yeah, you exit the building in order to get to enter the shutdown area. So that means that you're driving at the end at top speed. You're supposed to hit an, an area what's in your lane. Of course, you want right. to be in your lane. It, it's going. You're going through a roll up garage door to enter the the shutdown area, the, uh, which is outside of the building. Yeah. So you're at top speed as you're approaching that wall, and if you don't thread that needle. 
there's some you know serious consequences there, and and there's some photos that show that not everybody made it through. I was going to ask, did something happen? There was a guardrail that they installed, of course, but um, you know, at that speed, at that speed, it really doesn't matter. Now the course is pretty long. I think it was. Um, they're not as long as you might think, actually. It was, uh, I think it was a 440 foot course. Huh. Uh, either 3, 330 or 440 feet in length. I'm not exactly sure. Um, but again, this, this early 1960s indoor drag racing in Chicago, look it up online. You'll see photos of it and, and it's pretty impressive. I mean, it, it's a neat idea. I love the photos. They're really cool. I yeah. Mean, look, especially look at this one where they're looking down. You almost can't see the end of the drag strip. Yeah. That you're not a, lying about that, that small. That is a big, big building. Yeah. Uh, but, it's also a small building for what they were using it for, really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no kidding. Interesting idea. It gave them a year-round racing season. Ah, there's the rub. Mm-hmm. So we, unfortunately, Scott, did not get to all of our one more things, mm-hmm. but we kind of knew that going in. Ah, this is a long podcast. I hope people didn't mind because, you know, we, we've, there's so many more things that we want to talk about. Maybe we should do another one more thing at some point in the future. Not Definitely. Not right away, but sometime soon. Call it one more thing, too. The thing it ain't. <laughs> Or two more things. Yeah, not a bad idea. Uh, yeah, well, we'll work on the name. And while we go to do that, in the meantime, we hope that you have enjoyed this show um, of our, our short attention span theater for all things automotive. Uh, so go ahead and check out some of those other podcasts that we mentioned. You can find them all in one place at our handy-dandy website, carstuffshow.com. You can find Scott and I on Twitter and on Facebook as well. Of course, if you would like to send one more thing to us, we're all about it. Our email address is carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids. No plug needed. let's go. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. (laughs) You can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.